Hi, Don. Hey, Zach. The other day, a, an interesting essay came out from Mark Anderson from the Anderson and Horowitz venture capital firm way out in California. These guys are, they've got money in all sorts of uh, technology startups and stuff like that. And apparently he went kind of quiet during the coronavirus and he made this essay about building. And I just wanted to read what I thought was the best paragraph. He just wrote, every step of the way to everyone around us, we should be asking the question, what are you building? What are you building directly or helping other people to build or teaching other people to build or taking care of people who are building? If the work you're doing isn't either leading to something being built or taking care of people directly, we've failed you. And we need you to get in a position, an occupation, a career where you can contribute to building. There are always outstanding people in even the most broken systems. We need to get all the talent we can on the biggest problems we have and on building the answers to those problems. That's the paragraph. And his whole article is just that America has failed itself because we are not building, we have no vision of what we want, and we are now suffering from it the most during this time of the coronavirus. What do you think? I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was an utter and complete rejection of the data movement, of analytics, of economics, and of everything that's led to the most efficient production possible. Everything is about trying to do at cost or at lowest cost or having companies work at economies of scale and not to spend money where it's not valued and that data should be backing up everything we've done from education to manufacturing. It's all been about data, what's the cheapest and best. And the, his article is rejection of all that and saying, we should be building regardless if it's more expensive or regardless if it's not an efficient use of resources, we should be building. And sometimes even when it is efficient and desired and people want it, then others stand in the way with the NIMBY, not in my backyard message of, we don't want to build it because it will infringe on my rights. Yeah, it, it seems like he's talking about, there's a lack of vision in America and a lack of drive to want to sort of do hard things. Um, you know, in this article, he just talks about how here we are trying to fight a virus. We have shortages of simple things like cotton swabs, masks, things that like our government or other leaders should be stockpiling in times when we don't have crisis and we don't have those. I thought the most interesting fact he gave was here we are trying to give out stimulus money to people who are really suffering and we have no central system to just electronically deposit that money into their bank accounts. Yeah, and well, the Robert Klein response to the Andreessen article was really interesting, and they talked about, well, those systems are bad because we want them to be bad. The government does not want it to be easy to hand out money. We are flat-footed looking at this epidemic, but linking back, thinking back to World War II, the United States was caught flat-footed then. The Army and the Navy were tiny with few resources, and they had to do a massive industrial effort over years to really mobilize for World War II, and they were intentionally flat-footed in the 1930s because World War I was such an awful thing that the country didn't want to be ready for World War II and had to be dragged in kicking and screaming until Pearl Harbor, but really preparations had start before then. So how, is a, how are we to think to say this event is something we should have been better prepared for? It seems like the author is very much anti-America's sort of ambition and ability to see in the future. But I think you make a good point about here we are once again sort of caught flat-footed and yet 
over time, we as Americans always can find a way to mass produce, to, to get organized, to rally. I think about a couple of weeks ago, you know, GM was just uh, trying to get factories aligned to start making extra ventilators. And they've already now started to produce them and they're starting to deliver them. Is, is this guy's argument legitimate, I guess? Is it, is it any different than what we've ever been in America? I think it's unreasonable to expect a turnover in a matter of weeks. I think if we're looking at now months in, we have GM making ventilators and we have all these other companies making masks. I think that's pretty impressive and show of what uh, a profit motive and what um, desire can do. And really, it's pretty impressive. I think if we look at World War II, we wouldn't see something that much better. Do you think, though, that if we were in this mode of building, as he says, and I, and I feel like... Part of what he's saying is, you know, we should be having lots of people thinking up lots of different things at, at all levels of society, from the most localist, private entrepreneur to the largest government programs we could think. And do you think if we were behaving in this idea of building that we could have responded better to this virus? Or do you think this is just one of those black swan moments that no matter what we could have done, like we're, we're in this and, and really we couldn't have prepared any better for it? That's where my fixation on data comes in, because when you're a hospital or a medical company and you're trying to rationalize making a new medicine, it's all based upon how many patients are going to take this, what are they going to pay for it, how many, how many quality health years do they get out of it, thus how are we going to price it. Nobody would look at this and say, all right, well, we really be, have to be on masks because there's going to be a lot of profit in masks. Like, it would not be seen coming. So the data has put us in the most efficient way, which is also a little bit precarious. That's a good point. Like to build means to look for the incentive, right? What's the highest amount of return I can probably get? And yeah. before this, there probably wasn't a lot of money in, in building a, a cotton mask or something like that. No, and why would you do that? Just like, why would you have a, a center in basketball that works inside the three-point line and just works hard? This article, I, and I just found myself nodding my head and saying, I love everything that Mr. Anderson is saying in terms of like, here's our problems, look at America, we're, we're struggling once again, we can't get out of our own way. And then he starts to provide kind of one of those inspirational kind of themes like let's build right and he just goes through and talks about how our cities are kind of broken and how we have so much red tape on things nowadays that we we can't just build better and stronger buildings when we have the wealth to do it we can't provide the right items when we need it and it's like yes yes i i so believe in you sir but then i also i'm trying to look for the other side to this like what is it that I'm missing? Is it, is it just that like, it's too simple just to say, let's build and let's just support all those who build? You and I are public school teachers. And one of the things he talks about is how our education system is broken. Not the first time we've ever heard that. However, you could say that you and I most benefit from the least amount of change possible in the system, as long as it's still what the system currently looks like, right? And therefore, by me acknowledging that maybe I'm best off in a system that remains the same, does that make me anti-building, even though I kind of get excited about it? I just can't decide if, if it's realistic what he's saying and maybe what's the, what's the downside to what he's saying. Okay, so let's say we're going to build subways. So you have probably read about the expansion of the New York subway that went to some rich people's houses in Manhattan. 
and it costs something like $3 billion a mile. And when the subways originally built, they cost like 200,000 a mile or even adjusted for inflation, it's like a couple million a mile. Now, of course, there was no workers' protections and people died and horrible injuries happened, but they got it done. And I like your line of, you couldn't get out of our own way because in a sense of the subways, we can't get out of our own way. We're saying, you got to do all these safety requirements. You have to pay all these people, all this money and make these environmental issues, make sure that they're safe. And in that way, we can't get out of our own way and we can't build for that reason. Then, so that's a physical in our own way and a monetary one. In education, I'm sure as a first year teacher, you and I both thought, wow, I can't believe the oldest teachers are making the most money because they're not necessarily the best. I'm awesome. And then now that we're the older teachers with children to support and college funds to uh, contribute to, we certainly don't want to change because that's going to affect our compensation. And we could easily be replaced by people making 35 grand. And so, yes, there's the in the way portion of laws, regulations, progressive people and environmentalists like myself who have put barriers in the way. In education, it's people who are protecting their backyards, protecting their incomes and their salaries. And in the cities, the, you know, the housing constant problems in big cities like Washington, D.C. and San Francisco, it's all the NIMBY. Don't put this apartment complex in my backyard. It'll make my home lose value. And it is a constant issue. And I was thinking about the quote, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. I thought, yeah, absolutely. But what if there's no injustice for anyone? If we're protecting everybody's justice, then nothing gets done. There's no way to get anything done if you have um, protection for everybody. You have paralysis. If nobody's inconvenienced, if nobody gets hurt, if no turtles get killed, then we can't get anything made. In the 1950s, I'm sure they had three drinks at lunch and said, forget about the people that are going to get harmed by this. We're doing this thing. And that's how things got done. And if you protect everybody's rights and in the representative democracy gone wrong that we have, then everybody can get what they want, which is nothing gets done, which inevitably hurts everybody. Maybe that really is the, the big idea behind this uh, Anderson article is build is really just take away the things that are getting in the way of people being allowed to build. Yeah, which is a, repo- a true not a social Republican, but a true Republican would be a small government, get out of the way, less regulations for this, less regulations for that. Let's get things done. And you know, they stamped over every small minority group and undervalued citizen when they built those highways in the 1950s and 60s, but they got done and we get 20% return on investment from them every year since. And if we want to get things done, we have to stamp through that and just make things. But if we allow people's voices to be heard and, ver- and people's voices are getting louder, I think that's part of it. I think a long time ago, all these guys, because they were guys, in Congress and in government had fought in World War II together, whether they were from Omaha or, or Miami, and they said, all right, let's shake hands, smoke some cigarettes, say some unacceptable things, drink some martinis, and I'll do this thing, and my people still vote for me. But now everybody knows what their congressman votes and everybody can respond to their congressman on their social media. And there's so much coverage that these people don't have a time to really negotiate an agreement saying, I will scratch your back as long as you scratch mine. Maybe earmarks were good. Maybe a little bit of smoky rooms and secrecy got things done because 
Now we have total knowledge of what our congressmen are doing and senators for the most part, and we can criticize everything and thus they can't get anything done. You know, and you and I always make a joke about your wife and her sort of disdain for the space program as a waste of money. And it's amazing to think back in the 1960s, we were spending maybe, what was it, about 10 to 12% of our GDP trying to get a man on the moon. And, you know, you could argue that's building, that's thinking big. And nowadays, there's no way our population would support that sort of spending for that kind of a program. And yet, you could argue space is the future, right? We need to be up in space. We need to be learning more about um, the moon. We need to be learning about new habitats. We need to be learning about asteroid mining. And yet, I think there's very little public will for that, maybe private, but not public. Is that that sort of thing of back in the 60s? You're right. People didn't pay attention to that sort of stuff. And they said, all right, we believe you're doing a good job. We don't know what you're doing day to day. And we don't really care as long as you are representing us and whatnot. There was no cable news shows to constantly make you aware of what little thing you should be upset about or could be upset about who are following their incentives to get viewers. And they were able to do big things because people were unaware or basically had faith in them. One of the um, articles that you and I also took a look at was an Ezra Klein sort of response to this, let's build. And his response is more about why we don't build in our society. And I just wanted to read you one paragraph from that that I thought made a lot of sense. And he just wrote, the institutions through which Americans build and have become biased against action rather than toward it. They've become, in the political scientist Francis Fukuyama's term, vetoocracies, in which too many actors have veto rights over what gets built. That's true in the federal government. It's true in state and local government. It's even true in the private sector. And I thought that was really interesting because just like you said about people being very aware. Nowadays, it seems like all you need to do is start a mass outrage on Twitter and you can slow down people's behaviors and ideas and stuff like that. And that's not even political actors that can actually bring forth a veto or something like that. Well, that is, uh, that is new. But I think the stagnant government isn't intentional and from the days of the founders. They didn't want it to be easy to make laws, to make amendments. They wanted it to be hard and to be difficult to make big changes because they thought government was good and they need to not make changes just half-heartedly or independently. And if you have a terrible president, we don't have to fear that we're going to turn into something different, like some sort of dominated dictatorship. We have checks and balances, and thankfully we have. And that's gotten us through presidents, good and bad, presidents way left and way right. And without those things, our government may be totally different. But because they're there, we have slow change, but we have a consistent state. So would you say you're okay with the vetoocracy then? I, I, I guess like I'm, I'm all over the place in my own thinking on, I like the idea of building. Again, it's something to rally behind. It's something to feel good about. But there's also just something about, you're right, kind of slow sluggishness that, that doesn't let people sort of go to the the latest hot idea, if you know what I'm saying. Maybe it's not such a bad thing to protect minority rights or to give people say. So if any, all of a sudden government could do whatever they wanted in 2016, then President Trump puts all our resources into building a gigantic wall that he campaigned on. Where are we now prepared for this epidemic? 
we're certainly worse off. We'll have less resources. We'll have more debt as we put everything towards building this wall. But instead, where government wouldn't let him build the wall. He tried every single way he could, but the checks and balances prevented him from doing so. And in doing that, kept the government on a consistent level playing field. And so in that sense, yeah, I'm for a stagnant government, one that can't make traumatic changes. But I think the new incentives makes it much harder for government to do anything because of the uproar from anyone. And and the empowerment of the masses in many ways has made for paralysis at the governmental level. And that's a really good point that you bring up about everybody's vision of building is different. You could argue building a wall is definitely a building project. Some people definitely would support it. Others don't. Just like my desire to want to go to put a human on Mars, right? I want to build that. But there's probably many others that that feel that that's a waste. It's such a good idea, build. And yet, the more and more we talk about it, the more and more, I guess, I'm sort of like, could you actually put that in any sort of public policy, any any sort of way that actually could be transformative so that people could take action? I think one of the points that Ezra Klein made that I thought was so interesting was his rejection of incrementalism. And in medicine, incrementalism is everything. You make Mm -hmm. incremental trains, incremental developments. And as things get a little bit better, you add this medicine to that medicine. And now you have chemotherapy. And then it gets a little bit better and a little bit better. And over many, many years, it slowly improves. And that's not true of medicine only, it's true of many things, is that we've made incremental changes that have slowly made things better. In many ways, American society is based on incremental changes. The big changes are hard to put your finger on. Highway systems, telephone lines, those happen pretty quickly. But other than highways, I can't think of another public sector program that wasn't an incremental development. No, I, I think you're right. And I was thinking a lot about that when I was reading the Ezra Klein article, especially was, you know, you think about minority rights in our country and racism and sexism, and you have every right to still be upset about not having an equal playing field today. But if you look back over the last couple of decades, I think you'd have to admit at least some progress has been made on those fronts. And all of that, as you were just pointing out, would be incremental change. Do you think both of these authors then are just saying everything's just bad about our current system of government or our current laws and regulations behind things? Or do you think, do you think they would also agree at all with kind of what we're talking about in terms of some sort of a, of a middle ground? I think they would say that this situation was, le- our government was unprepared for this situation because of all of the following. And that... It's a unique problem, which perhaps we need to have unique solutions. I think also what they see is that there's an opportunity to make a major wholesale change because people are willing to tolerate a change because things are so out of the ordinary. And so maybe this is our chance to do a big thing. And what big thing could that be? Much like after World War II, you have the GI, GI Bill and the highway system. Those were huge changes that changed our society in many, many ways. What is the opportunity here to make a big change? Anderson does point out, you know, why aren't we, uh, why isn't Harvard and some of our elite universities educating more people? You know, we can scale it up. We've obviously proved we can do that. 
you know, why aren't we forcing our public institutions to, you know, prove with data that they are succeeding or not succeeding? You know, we always seem to kind of, I can't remember quite the word to use, but we seem to measure ourselves by the intention of what the program is, not whether it's being successful or not. Do you think there's, what other big things could you see being done? I think the big one is one that we've talked about before is that college education. I mean, I went to the University of Michigan, you went to Kalamazoo College. I know that nearly all the classrooms were empty nearly all the time. And if working at a high school and for you a middle school, all the classrooms are full all the time. And we could literally have three times or five times or 10 times as many students in any college. Any given college teacher spends 5% of their time teaching, the rest of their time they're doing research, which is invaluable research. But you could also have more classes taught or bigger classes taught, and you could get more students through. The military colleges, those military instructors are not doing any research. They're just teaching. That's their only thing. Maybe we need to rethink college and have, instead of professors that are doing 90% research and 10% teaching or 5% teaching or 2% teaching, maybe you need to have instructors and researchers and have a separate thing and just put more people through, which is a great idea if you're a high, if you're a high school junior. And if you're a college freshman, it sounds like the worst idea in the world. You're going to put five times more people on campus, make my degree one-fifth as valuable because now more people can get in. And my college experience of being on campus and going to football games and parties, different. I mean, it's something that we could easily do. Now, if you did that, major colleges like University of Michigan would probably fill out their roles. And Western Michigan and Central would be destroyed because people would leave their opportunities there for the opportunities of the Michigan degree at a lower price. Do you think, though, in a democracy that does respect people's rights, you could actually have a system where you can, quote unquote, build with whatever ambition you have? Does, does that go hand in hand with, with our current form of government? Depending on what you want to build, I think there is barriers, but we do have more entrepreneurs than we've had in a long time in terms of many people, many small businesses. And if you look out, you can look at YouTube channels and say like, wow, there's people that are creating content that are compensated, not as, not very much, but they have jobs where they're just creating content and anybody can get into that business. And so that's a start. You can start a business doing a lot of things. There's a lot of small businesses. The question about building the big projects are the hard things, because it seems like we're tearing down hospitals, not building them, and that we are seeking efficiency rather than building big things. I see a lot of truth in what both of these people are saying, and yet I feel, I don't know, kind of paralyzed in sort of wondering what are the unknowns, right? What are the externalities for just sort of letting building happen at, at such a fast rate? But at the same time, what are the externalities for not allowing that sort of stuff to happen? I, I think about, um, I lived in a sort of um, broken down old building when I was a senior in college. and. It was, a, um, it was deemed a historical house, though, Kalamazoo, Michigan. And therefore, because it had that protection, it had to be restored in a certain way. And it had to be, you know, you had to get your, your building designs approved by a board. You had to build in a certain way to use certain materials. And therefore, this house and the many other houses all next to it were all just kind of left to rot. Nobody wanted to spend all of the money to restore these houses in the way that the laws and the building codes said they should be. And so then they just continued to rot slowly as, as, as the landlord that I had just wanted to collect rent and, and 
I didn't have a lot of money, so I didn't have a lot of options to live. And so I just kind of lived there and made do. But I look forward to getting out of there as well. And so I, I feel like you can't just have the current system because the current system leads to that sort of inaction that kind of eventually leads to the rot. But is it possible that you take away too many things and then maybe there's other issues out there? I think you're, uh, you, I, I'm going to take the counterpoint in that you were benefiting from having the cheap place to live. The landlord was benefiting from making money by renting this place and that that works. The new buildings that are going up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I went to college, and there's lots of them, are all apartments that cost $2,000 a month or more. And I was paying $300 a month in a tiny rundown house like you did that I lived with my teammates because it was cheap and it was crappy and I had no problem with that. And if we're building to make money, then you're gonna build the biggest places to make the most money, which is what we're seeing in every situation, right? If you're gonna put up a, town, a building in a big city, it's not gonna be low rent apartments, it's gonna be penthouses for millions and millions of dollars on the park in Manhattan. And I guess my only thing is in the long run though, and this was the thing that I, I got to know my landlord a little bit, and one of his decks fell off and he rebuilt a deck, but then the city came and told him he had to tear it down and then rebuild it in a different way. Yeah. And he was quite upset about that. And just the whole point being that like, you're right, in the short term, I benefited, he benefits, in the long run, though, you still have a neighborhood that is now run down with rundown houses. And eventually you're going to have, you know, obviously you, you might maybe get to a point where you don't have any tenants and stuff like that. And I, I do think there's something about the vetoocracy, as Mr. Klein states, that maybe leads to some of that. And, you know, some would argue, oh, America is just rotten to the core at this point of inaction and not in the lack of building. But I don't know. Do you think that's true or do you think no? Like America is still making progress. And while these are very compelling essays, they're just ideas that don't have a lot of merit. I think we're building where the powerful want to build and the underpowered people or less powerful people don't get things built that they need. And so we'll make a subway extension in Manhattan, but we're not building affordable housing in San Francisco. And it's just a struggle for people to overcome the ones with power. Fair enough. Ultimately, the, the rich will, will build what they need and it will be the less fortunate that kind of just have to see where they fit in those plans. And in that sense, not much has changed. Yes, but maybe we can build more. And I guess that would be where the size of government matters or where government building comes in is they're supposed to be the ones looking out for everybody, right? And therefore, Maybe they would be the ones with the ambition to be thinking about those who are not able to build for themselves? If they were interested in doing so, they could. But if they're interested in chasing the dollars and chasing the notoriety, then I don't think they will. Such a Do sad you... note to end this podcast on. I want to be more upbeat like we have a uh, things are hopeful and we are going to build. Well, and I guess let me ask you a final question then. Um, like today, I saw that the, the Gates Foundation, who has over $40 billion, one of the largest foundations in the world, is going to now allot all of their resources towards coronavirus research, looking for a cure and stuff like that. And they've had some success with you know, fighting certain diseases in developing nations. Is that a good thing or a bad thing that an individual like Mr. Gates is, is sort of working on this problem when it seems like our government is working on this problem, although are they working on it with the same sort of tenacity that Mr. Gates is? 
Is it a good thing that we have multiple people working on it? Like, how should I feel when I see an individual undertaking this large scale problem? feeling like my government is not doing as much as it should? I think it's hopeful. I mean, it reminds me, when I saw that the president had cut all the funding of the World Health Organization, I was like, well, Bill Gates should just write him a check because Bill's got that money and they need it. But also the Gates Foundation reminds me a little bit of the Carnegie Foundation. Andrew Carnegie's certainly not a historically well-remembered kind man to the working man, but the libraries are still around, so are the theaters. It wasn't the government building those things. It was Carnegie and in, well, and in the WPA after the depre- in the Depression. But a lot of those things are a strong legacy that have made a big impact. And I th- think that's where Mr. Gates sees himself. And if we can ha- rely on our billionaires to do that, fantastic. I'd rather have them doing that with the money than sailing off to the seas. I'm always mixed about this because, again, I go back to space just for a minute, but you see all these billionaires wanting to be the ones that are, that are now leading our way into space. And you can say, great, let the private sector take on this risk to achieve these, these tremendous things. And yet there's only so many billionaires and it's in a way we're kind of, are we having to rely on them too much or hoping that they are interested in the same kinds of problems that the public is interested in. And that to me just seems like maybe is that a failing of our, of our government institutions if we're always hoping that it's going to be the billionaires that are going to do something for us. I think it is. it illustrates where our government is. I mean, what is our government really? There are people that do Social Security, unemployment, health insurance for poor people, health insurance for old people, and defense. And ultimately, that's what we expect of them. And anybody that's going to do something else, we don't seem to reach for the government to solve these problems anymore. We seem to reach for the government for the big things and then protecting our niche interests. I started this article nodding my head, and now I'm even more confused, I think, as to what I think. (laughs) All right, well, Uh, it's nice talking with you, Zach.